us to how shitty of a place Hollywood is. Yeah, they don't know. Oh. It's a dump. It's my favorite thing to do when, when I have people coming to visit, like family. Set my sister off yeah. to like, oh yeah, yeah, go and enjoy yourself on the Walk of Fame for a three to four minutes. <laughs> Talking to people about dark matter and neutrinos can be funny. Surely you're joking. Hopefully, yes. Surely he's joking. We finally got our first sponsor, guys. Yeah. That's right. We're going to be rich. <laughs> and what's better than it being one of our guests? Someone we know and like. Dr. Anthony Roy. He brought these bras in last time he was here. It's these gecko technology. Yeah, the secret is this patented lining called Gectech. It's this uh, laboratory-tested silicone that makes intimate contact with even sensitive skin. And uh, we got to play with them, throw them on the window. Remember, it was like a crazy toy we played. It was like Ninja Star. Yep. Dude, and Kate Quigley <laughs> tried on the bra. Uh -huh. And she loved it. And she loved it. I would say it's the most high-tech bra out I there. I want one. Where where do I buy it? You can get it at kellykayapparel.com. That's K-E-L-L-I-E-K-A-P-P-A-R-E-L.com. And uh, with our podcast, we're going to have a promo code for you guys. That's right. It's S-Y-J. Use that for 25% off at checkout. That's 25% that not only gets you a discount on the bra, it also helps support this podcast, which we badly need. So yeah. you got it, especially our fans out there, go for it. So once again, that's Kelly K, K E L L I E K, apparel.com. Kelly K, apparel.com. Punch in a promo code SYJ for 25% off. That's right. Kelly K, apparel, apparel engineered for women. And Griff. Welcome to Surely You're Joking. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Peter Hickerson. Today we are joined by Jimmy O. Yang. Yeah, what up? At my crib. In in Jimmy's in place. In Jimmy's apartment. Which is not in Hollywood. Yeah. But I, <laughs> didn't, I didn't have the heart to correct you last <laughs> time. And also, who cares? Like, let people think Nobody, that you live yeah. in Hollywood. No, he lives in the hills. We're in the Hollywood hills right now. Yeah, what are you yeah, talking yeah. about? Yeah. Uh, coming, this is right from the set of the Oscars, right? This is actually right in the middle of the Oscar ceremony. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We <laughs> saved this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are also joined by Griff Pippen. Yo. How are you doing, Griff? Woo! And today's guest is a friend of mine I've known for a while. I've been on his podcast, which is a great science podcast called Probably Science. Uh -huh. He's also been on Fallon. He's a very funny comedian. Goes all over the country and I, the world, I imagine. Uh, I have been over the world. Yeah, that's right. Bits uh, of it anyway. Please welcome Matt Kirshen. Hey, yes! thank you, everyone. That's the first name Kevin right? got it correct. Oh, it right. You did. And we have another special guest here. There's a tiny puppy just sitting here that's with right. us. That's right. Producer Ryan brought his little puppy that looks like an Ewok. So that, that is a puppy, because that looks like the kind of dog that doesn't change sizes much over the years. Yeah. Like, that's not going to get much bigger than that. Yeah, he's what, two pounds? Yeah. Three pounds. Three pounds, what, I'm sorry. What make is he? What... Chihuahua. That is what, a full. That's a full on Chihuahua. I love we'll that. Like a car. What, we'll make, what out, make and model is that dog? Yeah. We'll tweet out pictures of this dog, and you guys will melt. Yeah, he looks like a adorable. tiny coyote. He, <laughs> it's very it's actually kind of yeah. an ad for genetic, you know, GMO <laughs> pets. <laughs> Because he doesn't look real. He well, looks you're, like, you're the like scientist, uh, Kevin, uh, and as, as such an expert on all science. Uh, how how many generations back do you have to go before that was a wolf? Uh, I saw this great documentary on it. It was an experiment the Russians did. And they could basically go from any wolf to a fully domesticated dog in seven generations. I'm guessing that guy, because he's so far from even a regular looking dog, that probably like two or three more. What about <laughs> wolf to more. pug? Is like 14? Um, I don't know. Yeah, seven generations is nothing. Yeah, that's, that's nothing. what they were really excited about that. And also, the it's other like side of the experiment. 
because because dogs become mature enough to reproduce it after when when they're like what four three or four years old. I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, and it's a really old, long experiment, and they were amazed. They could, they could get everything. They could get the puppy eyes. You know how the dogs look up at you with their mm-hmm. eyebrows. And wolves That's, don't do that. Wolves don't do that. They do the thing where they follow faces around. Wolves don't do that. The aggression went way down. Wow. But what's cool about this experiment? I, they split it into two pieces. They took the most aggressive. And the most docile and domesticated, and they split them. So they also had this uh, this other side of these like hyper aggressive, yeah, these super wolves that couldn't even be social with, the, with their own kind anymore. Nice. And at the end of that, did they try and introduce the two together again just to see what would happen <laughs> and see who wins? <laughs> I think it would be like, I mean, they got to the point they had to keep them each in their own little kennel because they were just so aggressive. They would wow. just like gnarl at the at the door and everything. And, uh, that's yeah. a that's a good breed. It's it's like uh, one one is survival of the fittest, and and the other one uh, they call it the survival of the cutest. I think I heard that on the documentary. Uh-huh. Like that's what dogs are, right? Like if you're cute, you're always gonna get fed. Ah. Oh yeah, I have a bit about that with the baby seals. It's oh really? Like, yeah, that's that's their only defense is that they're just. Oh yeah, yeah, I heard that. It's <laughs> yeah. very funny bit. Yeah, they're, they're just like this blob of fat in the middle of a frozen wasteland like they're pretty much just like a chicken mcnugget just sitting there right and their only defense is like especially to polar bears which is the main <laughs> thing they used to is like hey i look kind of like your your baby polar bear for like that you know with the huge eyes and everything and yeah. it's and it's a universal thing that mammals <laughs> go for can i just note at this point our producer's just taking pictures of his dog and it's adorable <laughs> we're not even important anymore yeah my house is turned into a <laughs> yeah. So uh, thirty. So, so just like within thirty years, you can get, you can get like a puppy out of wolf. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, hmm. it's pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, it's not a lot of genes. Wolves were like ombre already pretty, pretty good. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson had a, he had a little segment on it on Cosmos. He, he had the good. campfire. I saw that. Yeah, where he was talking about it. I think he was like trying to explain evolution to people. Who are, well, like, it was the story of how we teamed up with dogs, and they were they realized, hey, you know, we'll get guaranteed food if we team up with these humans, and we thought we can utilize them. So we learned to I domesticate them as a partnership. That's yeah. where he said domesticate. Uh, I mean, the survival the cutest. Yeah, I did hear that. Is how I remember hearing that's how wolves kind of became dogs initially obviously there wasn't that concerted effort by a group of russian scientists it was just like oh the ones that aren't murderous uh-huh. you might want to throw a couple of scraps of food and yeah well so the reason they wanted to know the experiments because we knew that that happened over a hundred thousand years but it was like the fact that it could be done just 30 is pretty amazing yeah like so nobody before that nobody knew could it be you know did it was it just a thousand years and people just did it really slowly but apparently no we did it like pretty Wow. Very, very slowly. I also have this DVD I'm trying to find. I can't find it right now. It's an E-40 movie called <laughs> Survival of the Illest. Okay? <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's unwatchable, but the name is just amazing. So, so, so how many generations would it take to turn a lion into a sea lion? <laughs> oh, that's, that's the question. Because we're going from land to water on this one. Yeah, yeah, so you gotta like which one's the best? You get the best and the worst swimmers, and you separate them, <laughs> and eventually, well, whales are supposedly related to cows. So that one also what? is pretty interesting. Yeah, a, a whale is basically a cow, a relative of the cow that went out. And just kind of got wetter and wetter until it lost its little legs. So and they're went, not even gone. So they're it went little that way rather than the other way. Because I know like whales and dolphins as well are mammals. So they are 
because most most of the evolution movement was from the sea onto the land, right? Like life started in the water and moved onto land. Sure, but there's a but, lot of species where their ancestors have gone off, come back on, gone off, and come back on. That's happened with a lot of branches where okay, you know, like hmm. uh, you know, frogs and turtles have gone back and forth. Well, they just and, can't decide. I'm upset with platypuses. What? They need to figure it out and get it together because the platypus is a confusing animal to yeah. me. Oh, the salamander? Those I, are cool. I don't think they can't decide. It's just, you know, there's always climate change throughout history and there's environmental changes and predator changes. So they've all had different reasons mm. to leave or go in at different times. So like amphibians a, are just indecisive pussies. <laughs> I think uh, that, is, that is so biphobic of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amphobic. Yeah. Uh, hippos are, are we're kind of seeing that. A hippo is like a snapshot of that pressure to move from land to water because mm. they're really oh, yeah. awkward and vulnerable. Uh, on land, and they can be attacked by lions. Not w easily, but they don't really have any horns or anything. So but, they they are, but they're vicious, like hippo. Yeah, yeah they're they're the most people. They yeah, kill they, people. Yeah, yeah like out vicious. of any like large animal, obviously mosquito is by far and away the the most. All oh, right, but, I didn't um, think about it that way. But yeah, apparently, don't hippos have the highest death rate, the highest human murder rate? They're murder. Very, I don't know if you call it murder when it's an animal. The highest human kill rate out <laughs> yeah. of any animal. over sharks or bears. They're very yeah, aggressive yeah, to far. animals. I mean, to to humans. But they don't run fast. Right. They don't? They're one of the few things. No, they run fast compared to us, but not to a lion. So oh. that's the thing is like most animals outrun lions. That's like their defense is to just run away as fast as possible. Theirs is to run to water as fast as possible or just like knock the lions off. But they can only they do it. They are huge and they have massive teeth. They have these huge yeah. mouths that are just yeah. full of vicious sharp teeth. But yeah, I guess a pride of lions will just circle and outflank them. Right, and tire them out with like constantly bugging them because they they can charge and yeah, they can kill a person by charging. Mm -hmm. But um, but the lions are you oh, know, so the lions so kind of wear them down. Run, yeah, and so their their defense is just like to sort of run slowly back to the water. <laughs> the lions are just like jumping on them the whole time. They right. don't kill them, but they eventually get to the water, and then the lions are like, "I'm out." So they treat it more like a sort of video game where you can see the little health bar just slowly diminish right. yeah, 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 right. yeah. Like, it's like the boss like at the end of a level right. <laughs> right. <laughs> just like gradually sniffing it until the hippo falls yeah I, they're probably hoping it's like sick or something yeah, like, in fact, ah, hippo, well, Mike Tyson's punch out that's what we're dealing with right now <laughs> yes so you wait until the star hat when it opens its arms like that and the yeah. star you hit him once and then <laughs> yeah. it takes two hours to beat that guy yeah you go for a low punch low punch <laughs> so Top humans are actually super slow in nature right I don't know if we're super slow. I mean... We're below average. We can't run faster but, than a hippo. Isn't there some weird stat? Like, most most animals can outrun humans over short distances. Like, a, like any pretty much any non-injured cat mm -hmm. of any size is substantially faster than any human alive over short distances. Excluding Usain Bolt, but yeah. But, like, even, like, like a, a house cat will smoke Usain Bolt across 30, across 30 yards. Yeah. Are you serious? Oh, by far. See, I feel like I haven't beat a house cat. But uh, no, they just then. <laughs> but we get. I, but, I know you're going with this. But long distances. When it comes to long distances, apparently, like humans can beat horses over long distances. Well, not, not we, me or Kevin. I mean, yeah. you know, but like, not Griffey. Maybe Mo Farah and all like one of those Kenyans, maybe. Yeah. You know. Well, no, alligators are supposedly as fast as horses on a short dash, like oh, forty wow. yards. That's fucking They're scary. They're super fast. Yeah, really scary. But They're alligators are extremely speed. fast. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so you, you got me doubting my facts now because I know this is a science podcast, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure a, a cat is faster <coughs> than any human. 
How about I just yeah. go out? Oh, oh yeah, I think you're right. I've never been able to. I can't outrun no my cat. Let's go out to the street and I'll race Pico right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will put that That's in close a... enough to a cat. Yeah. Puppies. So speaking of going in and out of the water, a really exciting news story that came out this week, a science news story, is one of my currently my favorite animal at the moment, and every, I think a lot of people's favorite animal is the water bear. Uh, which is this tiny little oh, thing. Oh, the weird-looking thing. The, the weird little thing. thing. Uh, it looks a lot like a... People aren't entirely sure if it's more closely related to nematodes or spiders. Um, it's kind of in that like category, but it's this little tiny microscopic thing about half a millimeter long. You can see it in a microscope. Uh, they're everywhere. There's like a billion, billion of them in the world. Wow. But they just randomly turn out to be like these just... As they're trying to learn more about them, they're getting weirder and weirder. Like, one of them is they can survive in space. They can survive down to one degree above absolute zero, which is weird because space itself isn't even that cold. They can survive colder than space. So are they so, the most survivable um, thing? They look like a foreskin. I was about, <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, I was we're going to talk about panspermia linnea. Yeah. The water bear is very relevant. That's right? what, yeah. That's what I'm getting oh, excited about is geez. because they they found them on on comets. I mean, like yes. they haven't found them on comets. Sorry, they found them in conditions that could be a comet. And so I'm having trouble f- believing that they're not on Europa. Like I don't know how they wouldn't make it there because they could survive like the intense radiation of. Can Jupiter. they? Can they survive uh, a vacuum as well? Yes, they can survive so, a vacuum. So this, so they, they can, could be theoretically being knocked off of. They could even have traveled from Earth to another to, planet. Yes, and that's At, why... Or vice versa. Yeah, and that's why I'd, I think vice versa is really interesting because let me give you the next the, the new story that came up this week. They looked at it and they, uh, they looked at their genome and they found out that uh, they have 17% foreign DNA. Okay, so foreign like DNA... Like a guy from Pakistan? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're gonna kick him out. We're gonna do it. Yeah, <laughs> Jimmy. Some of my friends are Asian, man. I don't appreciate that. <laughs> We're gonna make the water bears build the wall. Yeah, I was gonna say Trump. Trump will get those water bears right out of here. Only I can make those kind of jokes. I feel like it's my responsibility to slip so, one in. So, believe it or not, even more weird than uh, foreigners from other countries. It's when by foreign DNA they mean from a totally different animal species, and. This is this occurs in all species. They have foreign DNA. We do too, and it comes from viruses. Usually, a virus has the ability to take DNA from one species, infect the, your species, and then permanently it becomes part of your genome. And that's happened throughout evolution. Wow. You know, the, throughout the the history of the Earth, that has happened many times. So, because that's one of the things viruses do, they they like cut and paste little tiny pieces, and they and then they spread it, and they jump species, and they go to another one. Right, because so, isn't that something that uh like dot medical researchers have in the last few years been looking into seriously about like treatments where they genetically engineer viruses to do certain things yeah bingo because they take that natural tendency of viruses and then now people know how to deliberately insert a new kind of gene into a, an organism that's already alive which is you know it's potentially so maybe, awesome it's also potentially yeah, super terrifying. creepy yeah <laughs> but, but people who have sort of congenital like like genetic illnesses right they can be you cured can... even after conception which is you know wild anyway so 17 percent is huge because uh we, most animals are like one percent or lower and the previous record holder was uh eight percent 
foreign DNA. And then here comes along the water bear, and it has all this extreme, like this DNA from extreme species. It has plant DNA. It has fungus DNA. It has uh, it has bacteria DNA. It has um, archaea DNA. So it actually has the little bits and pieces of every type of life on Earth. And I mean, I'm I'm getting like giddy over this because like this is totally fantasy, but just. Imagine for a moment, what if water bears are like little arcs that were sent, you know, they go from planet to planet mm. and then they have all the DNA they need and they just sort of create all the other branches of life. Yeah. They, so they, be, right? they take stuff from this planet and they move to Mars and start, they start panspermulinae over there. Because yep. they so, can evolve to anything of those foreign dna right like well, another I don't, plant can you do that or no i don't know because i don't know what parts of the dna they have they just know that they have those pieces i i, I kind of want to get like a researcher who's on one of these papers yeah to get on the show so we can ask yeah, those questions dude. so screw seti we could just be spraying water bears into space right. and <laughs> yeah we should do that right and uh i talked to somebody from jpl about them being on mars because what another one of their amazing tricks is they can be de- completely desiccated down to about three percent water Mm-hmm. And they could just be put back in warm water, and they come back to life and start uh, breeding. That's amazing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's so much better than uh oh. What were the little things that we used to have? The little the spongy things? No, the little to- the it was like monkeys? a toy sea monkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah, like yeah. The ultimate sea monkey. Yeah. So, um, anyway, the fact that it can dry out and be so cold kind of makes it hard to believe that they wouldn't just survive on Mars because Mars gets to about seventy degrees on hot days in the in the summer and these guys only need a few days of warmth to to replicate mm-hmm. and they can spend the rest of the year um you know just completely just stasis yeah they've they've gone as long as decades of them dried out and frozen and they just like come I, back to life hey I, I just wow super so, advanced yeah. so how, how long have we known about water bears as a thing so uh we've known about them since the 1700s but okay because they're what? everywhere they're in water how, all the time how big are these things they don't get past the uh, half a millimeter okay oh, so you can actually see them. you can see them on a, in oh a microscope well, so, half, well, well even not, even yeah. without a microscope you can see half a millimeter yeah. just about, well i think right? they just kind of look like little dots floating right. around um but so they've seen them for a long time but they didn't they thought they were just another kind of insect which they kind of are, I mean, they think, but they have all these extra weird properties and they don't quite know where they fit in. How do you kill them? Do you smush them? Or, <laughs> I, I mean, you kill I, them? That's why I think we're going to bring them to Europa, even if we're trying not to. How do they, um, how do they reproduce and like, uh, and how do they feed or how do they, what, if uh, well, I, what they even eat are, algae. They have this little weird sucker mouth thing. That if kinda I, looks, what are they even like? What sort of? kingdom and well genus are, that's uh, part of the problem they're they're part of um anthropods or there's some kind of anthropod okay but like i said they they keep defying classifications so people aren't 100 percent sure mm-hmm. and a lot of it certainly early on it was all morphological it's like oh it's got eight legs so it's a kind of spider and then right. people are like well they also are kind of like centipedes and but they have a lot of the features that these things would have. Like they have a brain, a tiny little brain. Okay. They have uh, Do like spiders a, have brains. Yeah, okay. sp- spiders have brains, and you know, and they have these little arm things that look like legs, but they don't really look like a spider. It kind of looks really. like an asshole with legs. <laughs> <laughs> Except yeah. now I see. It. I was about to ask, like, oh, well, how did it get the name Water Bear? But this picture that you're showing me there, the one on the right, it does kind of look like a, a sort of a. a badly made like 
like a tiny bear, little like bear. a tiny little bear toy. Yeah. Like if yeah, someone yeah. made if someone, someone like cut in a, off the head of a teddy bear and put an asshole in the place. <laughs> yeah, but it, it looks like if someone made like a sort of school like if a kid made like a school project where you sort of got some stockings as the as like the outside and stuff that tries to make <laughs> it look like it a bear so it like yeah. a badly sewn project that looks like a bear and then obviously a f- fraction of a fraction of the size but um yeah i kind of get it do but sea do monkeys you- look like monkeys <laughs> i don't know i never i never got to do the sea monkey thing. do you find these water birds can i like find one in my house like where do they exist? i don't know i want to i, I want to look into that one i do too uh i have a microscope so i'll bring one i'll bring my microscope sometime i think i mean you can buy them certainly online so. when you talking about like if i just look on my floor with your microscope i'll, I'll find a water no they live in water which is also one of the weird things that's one of the things that confuses people uh, most animals that can survive extreme conditions mm-hmm. are called extremophiles, meaning they actually prefer those. <laughs> Sounds like a really hardcore pedophile. <laughs> extremophiles. <laughs> right, Jared. I'm from Subway. Swipe left if you see Sounds that. Sounds like Jared Someone's from Subway is an extremophile. <laughs> yeah. Or just someone who can only have sex with Tony Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> Like only, if you've not been in the X Games, right, I can't. Right. I can't get it. You can right. only fuck after yeah. one of those squirrel suit dives. <laughs> right. Sorry, just can't get aroused unless I'm skydiving. Yeah. Just... <laughs> that's great. Extremophiles. <laughs> so there's a lot of extremophiles. Like a lot of archaea is these things that live in volcanic vents and stuff. You know, where it's like super acidic and everything. But what's weird about those is, uh, not weird. It makes sense. They don't do well once they get away from those extreme environments. Water bears can survive all of these harsh climates, but they prefer just regular warm water. Like why, just regular water. You? I mean, I mean <laughs> it's just so weird. I you know, I can survive a lot of places, but I jump in a pool, you know. Well, but that was a terrible <laughs> joke. If that's even a joke, that was just horrible. we're laughing, so the result yeah. desired like, result happened. Yeah, Jimmy's like, uh, Tony Hawk. Yeah. Yeah, Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk. Just call back on the table joke. He's just in your joke week. Yeah. Damn it. Can't follow Matt Kirsch in here. God damn it. Yeah, anyway, I'm I wanna learn more about it. I don't know much about biology, so um so I I just I think they're so fascinating. I love the idea that they're probably the thing we're gonna find in another planet. And if you scroll down far enough on Google underwater bell, you will find hairy muscular men in a pool. So. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a warning. But if you're into that yeah. kind of water bear, there you go. And do you think we'll find that on other planets? <laughs> <laughs> So Matt, <laughs> yes. you're, you're from uh, the UK. I am from the UK. What do you think about Brexit? I think it's a disaster. Uh, it's an embarrassment. I was there for it. I was there during it. Uh, I was back in the UK for um, for a few weeks, and I you know I got to cast my no vote, and was outweighed by uh, it. It was it's such a con. Here's the trick. Like it's it's an absolute con that the um it was a power play. It was a Conservative Party power play. It was, a, it was a weak move from David Cameron to appease the Eurosceptics in his party. And then there were huge swathes of the, of the country who have really suffered under the last five, six years of the Conservative Party and austerity measures um, that has been blamed on immigration. Like, what's happened is they've crushed all of wealth, the welfare state and public services. And at the same time, people have come in from other countries. And at the same time... Uh, so people are seeing, like, 
schools and hospitals being understaffed and overworked and at the same time people from Poland and other countries being in their like in their cities uh. and not connecting the fact that no you fucks it's like the conservative party who've squeezed these things and all the money that immigration is bringing in which by the way is a lot more than it takes out but that money is funneling straight through to the richest parts of London and a couple of other cities mm. and they're missing that middle step and so there was understandable like people are it's the same thing that's happening with Trump. It's exactly the same thing that's happening with Trump. There's fact, huge, uh, so the guy's campaign, the Frange is Yeah, yeah, Michael Farage was stood case. up. Yeah, he appeared at a Trump rally last week. It's exactly the same thing. It, it's disenfranchised white people who've, who keep getting told that the country is better than it's ever been and they're not seeing the benefits of that. And, at the, and then someone from the right wing comes in and goes, uh, immigrants, which is a tactic that's you might be aware has worked in the past yeah. uh, like at every stage in the past going back probably as long as history exists to go ah it's them they're the ones who've made your life worse and so Brexit happened um, and uh, and from your point of view as a scientist like I've got scientist friends back in the UK who are now worried because there's international collaborations like amongst the many other things that it's going to screw up um, but yeah, they I think I'm most worried about the impact on science for yeah me, to me anyway the only thing you care about yeah. we know that yeah like i've got I a think, i've got a friend England's who works str- on, a, on a european it's a fusion project and it's a european collaboration and he's like i don't know whether i'm gonna have a job this time nick i don't know where this project is gonna mm. keep its funding yeah it reminds me a little bit of the government shutdown where it was like there was a lot of raw anger behind it but all it did was just kind of screw things yeah up, it just sort of put the brakes on and then, then now you've got this ridiculous situation where no one had thought it through. No one really expected it to work. Like, uh, like I've got a bit that I'm doing about it. About like, you just firstly, all of, they all resigned. All the people in charge of re- Brexit resigned. That was and then so shocking. Said, yeah, it was like um, they got what they wanted and, and then of, left. Now they're kind bizarre. of backing government in this weird like Brexit office. But the bit I've got is about their faces. Like when you look at them the day after Brexit, they don't look like someone who won an election. They look like a construction worker who's seen a woman uh, shout, "Show us your titties." And she did. (laughs) (laughs) Horrified. Like, this wasn't meant to happen. Put it back. Like, this was was about power, not results. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to feel big for a bit. And she did. Yeah. It's like, ah. Um, So now now there's this ridiculous situation where it's going to cost the country billions. No one really knows what Brexit means. Because there's no... There's no way to to satisfy each of the things that the government is now claiming they're going to be able to satisfy. There's no way to satisfy reducing immigration to the country while keeping free trade, while detaching politically from Europe and the regulations, while keeping the advantages of having uniform regulations for trade uh, and for products across Europe. Like there's, It's this absolute clusterfuck. Mm-hmm. And and there's and and then it's being negotiated by people who don't know how to negotiate this thing because all the trade deals that have been set up in the past have been set up over decades by people who specialize in that and now like a couple of chances in the British government and hilariously they had to import some trade negotiators from Europe. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that. But well, you guys have to leave right afterwards. Who's your prime? Was it David Cameron? The bounce? David Cameron has Please now gone. gone. He's like an yeah. immature father that just got to go pregnant. It's like it's yeah. not my problem, and then he just runs and away. By, by the way, David Cameron was campaigning against Brexit. Like and he, he was, was caught off guard. But right? he was yeah. It was, it was it, totally. the arrogance of them assuming it would be fine and they get away with it. It what what it really, going into the vote, you guys didn't think it was going to go through at all. I right? I was I was on the fence. I, I I thought it really was, and then I thought it really wasn't, and then. Um, I I had to go to sleep before the vote came. Like I woke up to find out it happened because I had a show. I was at, <laughs> I cast my vote in London and then I drove to Glastonbury for the music festival. Uh, and I had a gig on the comedy stage at like eleven a.m. the next morning. So I so by like three a.m. I had to go to bed. Like I was refreshing my phone and everything. <sighs> and at that point, it was kind of fifty fifty, but it was edging towards Brexit. But only something like five to ten percent of the country had declared by that point, so I, I, I didn't know. And then I woke up to find out it had happened. Um, but Cameron didn't. Uh, he, here's here's why it happened. Um, Cameron was worried about losing conservative votes to the UK Independence Party and to the extreme right, and also losing some of the extreme right in his own party. So to appease them, he put that in the manifesto. And he went, we'll have this vote on Europe and it'll be fine. So you can all stay safe and within the Conservative Party. And because of that, he won the election or partly because of that. Um, and th- But then he had to have this vote. And then they hugely underestimated the feeling in the country. And they also thought an economic argument would work because that's how they won the election. But they didn't get that the Brexit campaigners purposefully and intentionally. And they've said this and similar to Trump. They ran a fact-free campaign. Like, they they Mm -hmm. ran a campaign that was full of the most egregious lies. Like, out-and-out lies. Like, all of Trump's campaign, in other words. Like, they drove around in this bus that said... We give three hundred and fifty million a week to the I European saw that Union. Photo. Yeah. Let's fund. <laughs> let's fund our, our NHS instead. Let's fund our health service. And every part of that is a lie. Like every part of that. Firstly, the amount that Britain sends to the EU is substantially less than that because more than half of that comes back in rebates. Mm. So uh, it's substantially less goes to the EU. Then a large amount of that comes back to the country anyway, and things that the EU funds. And They've admitted afterwards that none of that, is, n- the NHS is going to be no more funded after Brexit. And in fact, it's going to be worse off because the economic disaster that was Brexit means that there's now less money in the country. Um, so that bit was a lie. Uh, they, the people in charge of Brexit have said that it won't change immigration level. Like every, every bit of their campaign was entirely a lie and entirely just playing on gut feelings and emotion. Mm-hmm. And they said that. They went for an emotion based campaign. The anti-Brexit people try to go for a fact-based campaign, right. and when you try and meet facts, emotions with facts, emotion emotions win so out. As a yeah. as an expert, I'm an expert in some stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm really worried about that. I mean, kind of, I don't understand it, but there's definitely both with Brexit and in the U.S. There's a lo- part of that anger that you're talking about, like the we're not being tapped into kind of thing. Yeah, you know? uh, a lot of that is also turning out as like anti-expert anger and, you know it's just like we're sick of of elitists telling us how to think and what's right and what's michael wrong. gove who mm-hmm. was again one of the conservative people one of the people in the conservative party who uh that's right dog <laughs> that's a that that's is a little leeway reaction dog. to michael gove <laughs> he, he dog's angry about brexit <laughs> you don't like this michael gove guy <laughs> he, he he exactly deserved that reaction but uh he actually said in an interview uh he won a, a news interview um on the news, some one of the interviewers uh, said, uh, 
So these experts have said that this will be the economic consequence of Brexit. And he said something, I'm going to have to paraphrase, I can't remember the exact wording, but he said, I think we've all had enough of experts. <laughs> like he basically mm. said, well, he basically said, yeah, well, what do experts know? Like effectively, like, well, that's exactly the definition of an expert. Yeah. Um, and there is that. But that shows, but the same thing is These happening elitists, in, the, yeah. in, in the US, you know, with like things like global, people are tired of hearing scientists talk about uh, global warming. And yeah, like, vaccines and is yeah. another group. Yeah. And so there's just all of this, like, like this uh, suspicion and anger towards experts. And I mean, some of, some of it's kind of understandable. Uh, another part of it is just, you know, like people don't necessarily even hear from the experts. There's a layer in between. And I think that's causing some of the suspicion. Well, so that's part of the reason why I like doing this podcast is because I think it's more important for scientists to, to talk like normal people. Yeah, cut the middleman out. Yeah, um, cut the middleman out. Exactly. It is, but it is a big problem because obviously they are two very different skills. And the, the amount of time and training and skill and type of brain that it takes to become an expert in something scientific is often antithetical to the the, the, the communicating the, part yeah, the we communicating can see that part. Kevin and you spend <laughs> yeah, right. and you spend your life as well once once you reach a certain point like at most talking to undergrads in the subject of your choice like mm -hmm. that's sort of like the lowest level that you normally have to communicate your ideas and and often even not even that I know that like Feynman had that theory that if you can't if you can't describe your scientific work at an undergraduate level, then you don't truly understand it. <laughs> yeah, but, I love that one. <laughs> the trouble is to get stuff to the public, most members of the public aren't undergrad level scientists. You need to go three levels further down yeah. to really communicate it. And that's hard when, you, when you're so far removed from the point in your life where you didn't understand it at that level. Yeah. I have also found that when I try and describe things at a level like that, a really broad level... You get immediately, then people, you get uh, almost detached from your expertise again, too. And people accuse you of that. You know, they say, well, right. you know, like, for example, somebody might say, well, you're not an evolutionary biologist. How could you possibly defend evolution as a physicist? And it's like, well, they're related, though. I mean, I, I understand the, the pieces behind it or something. Uh -huh. And people are like, well, no, you're not an expert on but that. But then, so. then also, that, well, there's a thing with science. science. Science and scientists have very exact, very specific language. Mm -hmm. Words mean very carefully defined things because you need that in science. You need to know that when you say energy, you mean the same thing as when this person says energy or vibration or force or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in, but in as opposed to like theory, everything on the Burning Man brochure, right? <laughs> <laughs> which uses all those same words, but they don't mean the yeah, same. Yeah, which is fine. It's abs <laughs> it, by the way, it's absolutely fine for all of, for lay people and like. And writer, for, for us to use all those words in conversation or in poetry or whatever and mean different or broader or more, more metaphorical things. But what happens is the scientific meaning of those words somehow gets blended into the... The popular yeah, so meaning of it. Yeah, so people sort of match yeah. those two things. They talk about... I was talking to someone a while ago who was talking about, well, you know, we, we all have energy and, and then E equals MC squared. So I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> the, e, the E that equals MC squared is not the energy that you're referring to. Like that E is a very specific, very narrowly, carefully defined energy. Uh-huh. And the same thing goes... And even that equation is already very simplified from, you know, the right. true... <laughs> that's the, like, popular one, but... And then, and then there's, um... Uh... And then theory, and then you get into the thing about theory, and and scientists 
really struggle with that because obviously with both with evolution or um or, or vaccines or anything they go oh well evolution is just a theory yes and that people means go, I have my own theory. You know? So I go, like, well, is evolution a fact or a theory? And you go, well, this is a semantic problem with science. This is a problem with what those words mean in the general mm-hmm. population and what those words mean in science. There's yeah. a disconnect. And I would, I would say I don't think scientists necessarily have a good answer for that either. No, and I they don't have know. A, I mean, people who focus on that problem do. The truth but... is, like, gravity is a theory. Yeah. Gravity Scientists is a... need to be more bro. Just be like, gravity is fucking true. Shut the fuck up. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're too nice. Jimmy, Jimmy's going to be the spokesperson yeah, for the physics bro now. Scientists, you know, you got to filter, you got to have a bro, bro yeah. guy to filter through your message. Because uh, scientists are like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a theory, you know. They're like, no, fuck you, it's true. Yeah, and that's, um, the same happens with vaccines. Where they go, so are vaccines safe? And the truth is, no, they're absolutely not safe. Like vaccines, every vaccine carries a risk of a bad reaction. It carries a risk of injury or death. Mm-hmm. But Take anyway. it's a relative <laughs> risk compared to the risk of not having the vaccine. Right. Like wearing a right. seatbelt has a risk of injury or death. So, but so it's, substantially, it's, yeah. it's substantially more risky to not wear that seatbelt. Um, it's very risky for James Bond to jump out of a second story window but it's more risky for him to stay in that room when five bad guys are running in with guns. So, like, yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a relative, but it's hard to explain that when someone's saying, so you're saying that vaccines are completely safe. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. They are yeah. just and much I, safer than the alternative. And but, a lot of it ends up being down to statistics, which is what I end up spending 90% of my day on, not uh-huh. by choice, but I have to. But yeah, statistics alone is just a thing most people don't, really get the public doesn't get a lot of times and they're abused all the time yeah in the media and you know actually i think this election is really exciting in that nate silver is doing such an amazing job at like communicating how polls work and everything it's it's well i've heard it so much better than it used to be i've heard it said before and like i think like i'm certainly not the i'm far from the first person to make this point but um in schools the fact that they go the algebra and, and then calculus route. They push this like that's the advanced mathematics rather than statistics and understanding data. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. that should be like grade school. Yeah. In my opinion. And there by the way, I'm talking basic, to someone. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Uh, yeah. And I'm talking to someone like I I did a math degree. Like that was my. <laughs> oh, that's right. Ah, I forgot to but, mention that one. But yeah. that's right. But um, and I I, I definitely preferred like, calculus and algebra and like abstract algebra to stats. That wasn't my favorite branch of it. Yeah. No stats but is I'm horrible. Very. <laughs> but I'm very horrible. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly once it gets into just oh, distribu- is that a Poisson distribution? Is that a, like I just. I, a binomial distribution. I, did, I found I found that relatively dry compared to some of the other stuff. And scientists get it wrong. A lot of scientists get it wrong. You work with like, linear algebra. I, I did at one point. But like there's this thing called p-value, which is a way of dis- distinguishing two hypotheses, like the the, <laughs> the hypothesis and the null hypothesis. And yep. it has an exact definition statistically, but a biology, the entire field of biology was using it way outside the bounds it was supposed to. So eventually, really? Nate, yeah, eventually nature was just like, we will no longer accept a paper that references p-values. That's they what like, Kelly uh, majored in, actually. Ah. P-value. <laughs> but, but like, yeah, I like, just remember just, like type one errors and type two. <laughs> they were just, just like, there were so many papers being submitted where that was their main complaint. Like that was the first thing is the, the reviewers were like, no, this doesn't actually. Mm. Like, and, and this was a big deal because like a lot of medical treatments and drug treatments were all being based on this. But if you get the underlying statistics wrong, 
you know, it screws up what you're actually claiming, you know, right. then, then it's miscommunicating what the, the paper's claiming. See, I only, I only have an undergrad degree and I'm surprised sometimes by like how lack of common sense people have for you that has like all these decorated degrees. Like it's, it's probably hard to like They're relate to some degree. Minor bedazzled. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Like I, I was talking about <laughs> so roommate. Humble. Uh, I was talking about roommate once. Uh, he buys these like daily fantasy lottery tickets. So you got like four numbers. So that's what uh, one out of ten thousand chance to win. Like because it goes zero, zero to nine, right? Uh-huh. It's a very simple statistic. Even I can do it. And then um, I was like, you know, you got one to ten thousand chance to win the grand prize, but they only pay you three grand. <laughs> do you see how this is not a good deal? For you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he was like, but. I pay a dollar and I get three thousand dollars. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how. That's not uh, what I'm saying. I'm saying you got a w- yeah, yep. one out of ten thousand chance, but you only get three thousand. He's like, yeah, but if I pay a dollar, I get three thousand dollars. He's probably not good at blackjack either. <laughs> so I mean, like, these people are like, I, I would say most of America would say that to some yeah, degree. Yeah, most people don't get expected sad. payoff. And yeah, and that's that's a one. That's a great one that. I think should be. T- I learned it too late in life. I think it should be taught at least high school yeah. or when it comes to or, lo- when it comes to lotteries and f- like f- fruit machine, like the slot machines, like there. What would you call it? At, fruit machines? Yeah, in the Britain, like in Britain, that's pubs, awesome. like fruit machines. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the fruit, things with their yeah. fruit machines from now on. <laughs> that's it. Um, but yeah, out of any type of gambling, that's the one where you you get the most direct because it's just basic. It's just basic probability. You know where those those machines and those tickets are set with a very carefully defined expected value. Like the lottery actually has to publish the odds of winning each yeah. level of prize. And you can just look at it and go, okay, well, this is, I have, for every dollar I spend on this ticket, I have an expected winning of 60 cents or whatever it is. Uh-huh. And you're like, okay, well, then the longer I play it, the more my... I will lose 40% of the money I put in just right. gradually over time. Fruit Machine sounds like a dance club in West Hollywood. Hey, let's go to Fruit Machine. Dance club? That's, yes, so, dance that's an club. antiquated term, buddy. <laughs> dance club. Let's go to, let's the, go dance to the discotheque, everybody. Talk about bath all night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it just, it's, it's, it becomes, like, like you're saying, it's hard to explain to these people. And, and these are the rejection for experts, I think it comes from just people being uh, entitled. It's entitled first world people. Yeah, they Kevin. don't want to hear any problems anymore. They're because like, you can live your life without being an expert on jack shit well, now. The, like, the, you, you, you don't have to know how your phone works or yeah, anything. Dude. It's just like, hey, I just, you know, I go there, to my... I think there is also this general feeling that, like, in certain, um, there's this sort of egalitarian idea of information now. And a lot of that is good. Yeah. But with it comes the idea that everyone's opinion is is equally valid. Everyone's opinion should be valid to an extent, but not everyone's opinion is equally valid in equal situations. Right. And now you can and it, you can validate your bias so easily nowadays. Yeah. You just type in this is my bias. Oh, there's like and, 8,000 web pages saying what I want to hear. And you know? also news over the years has really particularly TV news has really devolved into point counterpoint. The BBC is incredibly guilty of this. The BBC has a mandate news like to be impartial, to be unbiased. And in general cases, that's pretty good and that's pretty important. It means you know if you've got if you've got a member of the Conservative Party talking about the health the health plans, you should also have a member of like the Labour Party talking about what they think is wrong with those plans, and they they debate that and we hopefully reach a consensus. But there's this idea that you should always have that counterpoint in all situations. So you have like this vaccine person, 
and then they'll bring on this anti-vaccine person. You go like, no, these aren't equal. You've got like a, a, a doctor. You've got someone from the World Health Organization who's dedicated decades to learning this, and they've studied all of the papers, and they've studied the sort of the meta studies of these papers, and and they have all this information that shows conclusively that vaccines are a good idea. And then you have a mum with a couple of anecdotes. Yep. And these things are given equal weighting. And like, no, they're not. They are not equally weighty. They're not equally valid. What's funny well, you mentioned? It was, it was Jenna McCarthy that destroyed it, all of it. Yeah. And Jim Carrey. Yeah, Jim Carrey, too? Yeah. I'm surprised uh, he Trump, went along with it. Rob Schneider. Uh, there's quite a few in the you're UK as about, well. You're talking about uh, gambling and expected payoff. What's hilarious is even though individuals are really bad at getting these, ex- understanding like the payoff, it's hilarious how good gambling and like stock market things get it right because like when you get like a cloud of people doing it it just gets computed automatically like by magic because like if you go and gamble on something like uh, like for example the odds picked of who wins elections is really well picked by uh um like uh, gambling bookies Yeah. yeah like they get the odds really good because People just bet in until the the price is fixed, like really well. You have all these mines. That's individually. the best poll, like online betting or like Vegas. That's really the yeah, best they, poll. They get it like dead on. Yeah. Expected payoffs, just exactly even, which is amazing. Yeah, you know? it's yeah, like heard... oh, you you could put a ten to one bet here, but you'll get ten percent, or you can put a you know a, a nine to ten bet and get yeah. When there's money involved, back. it always gets way more accurate than I, like a UCLA poll. I heard various things about that. Like, there's there's quite a lot of evidence about things, clouds, just group sourcing um, various opinions or various, like it's not just betting on elections. Like if you get enough people together, they end up outshining individual experts in quite a few ways, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I even sent out a tweet that I got a lot of angry responses to, but I said that I was like, we're getting to the point where clouds are getting more intelligent than experts, and people got really mad because <laughs> I, I think they misinterpreted what I was saying. I was like, I was trying to. I guess they were trying to. I thought I was saying like, you know, experts aren't needed or something, which was <laughs> not what I was saying. It's just there really is this weird kind of like. I mean, even in that case where you're talking about where there's two experts being presented, or sorry, an expert and then uh, like an anecdotal person, there's still some kind of intelligence in the group where, you know, people still get that information out correctly and it kind of balances. Uh-huh. But it's not it's not regulated or understood in any way. So it's like a it's like plunging off a cliff. It's, Socially, we don't know what it's going to do. It's once again, it's facts versus emotions, right? Those anecdotes, oh, my son died. That's so emotional, and then right. it gets you people, even if it's like one out of a million yeah. kid. Well, there was Whereas, a, there, yeah. I think that's from the other side of things, because this whole conversation started about how the scientists communicate better. Because there was a study a couple of years ago, I remember we talked about it on our show, of um, they, they tried to study how, and I think it was done with vaccines, how do we change people's minds who are anti-vax? And they, they tried different interventions... Uh, and they included like presenting them with evidence, presenting them with anecdote, presenting them with, and it turns out sort of the more scientific the way, the more sort of you flood them with evidence, not only does it work less, but it actually more firmly entrenches their opposing view. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. more the more you give them, the more you give someone who is sort of anti-vax statistics and data, yeah, the more they dig in their heels, the 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 actual harder their position becomes, and the way mm. to win them over seems to be hitting them with emotion hitting them with anecdote Absolutely. from the other side mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I mean you hit them uh, an emotional person so, with 
I think t- telling them a story, telling them, showing them stories of kids who've died of measles, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. The, yeah, that's like, a good point. The and, Sarah McLaughlin commercials. We make those. Yeah. <laughs> for vaccines. But then you become part of the problem. Right. Well, that's the inherent problem with science, right? Like, you can't, it's not supposed to, like, affect your emotions. It's supposed right. to be based on fact. But it's not as effective as if you use emotion. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not joking when I say scientists should be more bro. They should... Just, <laughs> I I don't mean like bro necessarily, but like just appeal to people's emotions more. They like, need you know, public just, speaker. Well, I, Definitely what, not Kevin. You just be like, hey, look. I like comedy as a compromise because it's you can be specific in comedy and you can be emotional at the same time. You can talk I mean, about bats on stage too. But I mean, in order to somehow like back up these facts, That's a good joke. Like say right. when it comes to vaccines or something, you you should be able to somewhat elaborate like or or say dude you're gonna die if you don't get this right like you know or like have have those seatbelt commercials have a people just fly out of the car and fucking die just make stats up over fourteen thousand children died yesterday because they didn't get their flu shots see it's not stats you can't do that you got to show them one baby that is dying you can change like it is interesting to see things like um uh over the last 15 years or so the in fact maybe even the last 10 years just the what the swing in public perception of smoking mm-hmm. um like it's so when i started doing comedy um you could smoke indoors and that was just normal and the best comedy clubs are always the ones in basements and sort of low ceiling tightly packed rooms and that you just you know i come home stinking of smoke my hair i i'm like mm-hmm. coughing and my hair always reeked and my clothes always stank and and you just would be talking through this haze. And then around mid-2000s, bit by bit, different countries and different states across America went, like, mm. anti you can only smoke outdoors. And yeah. it's just become so normalized. It became it's so think, quickly. And now California, the attitude... I think was, like, the starting point for that. Quite possibly. <laughs> and it just becomes... And there are all these people who are like, this will never happen. I have a friend who is... Uh, it's going to kill all bars. No yeah. more drink again. I yeah, had a friend who was in, uh, who's from Ireland, and he was like, I don't know come you. That's my Irish accent right yeah. there. Wow. Here's yeah, what's amazing. so good. It, it went you. in Ireland and Scotland before it went in England. I know. That was just so funny. <laughs> then, like, years later, I talked to him, and they, we were, like, at a restaurant, so it was like, ugh, they're smoking. It was so funny. Like, what yeah. the other and way and it around. just becomes so, like, it's <laughs> almost norm. weird now when I see, when I f- have friends who are always smoking. It's it's like, oh, that's a, it's such a different attitude. Um, mm-hmm. So I, taboo now. And you're like, like, why do you like Hitler so much? Yeah. I, I did a around the time when it was. That's what it's like. Here. It was it's not like, across the whole. If, you, if you're smoking, it's like you're literally. Let him finish his fucking story. <laughs> Jesus Christ! You two keep interjecting with like bullshit, and this guy's actually trying to make a point. No, but I, I just remember how quickly it was. I was. I I remember doing a month of shows in Scotland and then a week of shows in Ireland, uh, and then I went back to England. And my first gig back, someone lit up a cigarette on the front row. And for a second, I was about to go like, "What are you? What are you doing?" Like it just almost—I'd forgotten <laughs> that that was still a thing you could do in there in the space of six weeks. Like that's how quickly. It's yeah. It's, well, I go back in Oklahoma where they're smoking a lot in the bars, and it's just like this is. It, we're it's so used weird. to it here. It feels weird and it feels gross. Vegas, it's like clean it up. Yeah, yeah. and Vegas, Vegas is just disgusting. the wild west. So, what do you think happened to change the perception? I don't. I honestly don't know. That's a great question. I don't know what changed it because it again it. There's direct parallels between global warming and smoking. There's a, 
In fact, there was a movie, I'm trying to remember the name of the documentary that came out about a year or two ago that was all about that, about how um, uh, they actually they actually recruited the same PR people who used to work for the tobacco companies. Uh, Merchants of Doubt, that's what it's called. Mm. And it's all about how their, their playbook is just to cast doubt. Like, that's what they do. They know they can't stop the tide. They know eventually they're going to lose out. But they just keep throwing more wrenches into the works they just have to keep slow they just keep putting the brakes on by using very careful language to just cast confusion and doubt and make it seem like there's a debate where there is no debate um mm. and they actually they actually got the same pr people who did the smoking who did the tobacco putting the brakes on in the 70s like 60s 70s and 80s they just found those people now to do the um anti-smoking campaign. anti-smoking thing yeah. and i think it just it gradually gets there but you have to go with emotional arguments and you have to legislate they're the two things that you have to do you have to yeah. uh and also now prosecute there was they're they're talking about using the rico laws uh to prosecute the um petrochemical companies that purposely withheld and obscured and concealed um scientific evidence that they already knew about that they were causing they but were see, advancing then that global causes, warming. That causes some of the backlash because people who are worried about a conspiracy theory. Oh, are absolutely! Hoax. They point to that. They're like, "Hey, what the hell? You you've two, been scaring the you know the scientists who are trying to." That's how it seems. Oh, to them. completely. Like, two like years you're ago, to silence them with with lawsuits. And <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. Well, two years ago, at um, we were doing a live version of Probably Science at, at the at LA Podfest, and someone in the audience asked that question. At the time, I didn't know what the question meant because someone went, um, uh. What, what what do you hear about like RICO laws, which are normally used to prosecute like gang like gangs like uh and that kind of thing and cons- conspiracies to silence scientists because that was the way it was then it was rehashed in the um in the press they were like they they are silencing scientific dissent by using these like anti collusion anti um gang uh laws and. And that's not what it is. That's the spin. And you're right. There is a risk with that. And people- what they're actually doing is saying, hey, uh, there was a conspiracy in the tobacco companies to conceal and lie about the results of scientific studies to make people smoke for much longer than they would have done otherwise mm-hmm. that has directly killed people because they lied about this science thing. And there was actually a conspiracy between them to do that. And now we can show, we believe we can show that the same thing is happening with the various petrochemical companies to lie about global warming and climate change. Yep, and that is also directly killing people. Like it's, it's, you can show <clears> that <throat> the things that climate change of causes is going to lead to the, has already, and will continue to lead to the deaths of people. There are droughts where there shouldn't be droughts. Crops have failed. There's more extreme weather conditions that would not have previously existed. People have died because of this, when I discuss yeah, this on social, lie. when I discuss this on social media, a lot of times I've been accused of. People are like, "Well, you have to say that because you'll get kicked out of your department if you don't like." They think like that, and this might be true of some departments, but it's certainly like not true of Caltech, where there's any kind of like if I had an opinion about something related to that and it didn't go with the mainstream, that people would like fire me over. That's just ludicrous. But there's yeah. a perception that that happens. Yeah, science is science this, is all like, about dissent. Like science, the and there is truth. Yeah, it would, that, be, it would be awesome to be. There is more definitely truth in the science as much as I can. Yeah, <laughs> and there is definitely truth that this that individual scientists 
can be guilty of not doing that because it is very hard to change your mind and it's very hard to listen to something different. And if you dedicated a period of your life to something and then there's some other theory, that scientists definitely don't always live up to the ideal of the scientific method. But the ideal of the scientific method is dissent and contradiction and directly being proven wrong and and because of that, advancing the knowledge. And that again comes to that same problem that we have with it's a theory, not a fact. Everything in science is converging on the truth like mm-hmm. there are sort of if if you even consider there is such a thing as a universal truth out there and various things but science can only just come up with increasingly close models right to right. that that we you can come up with you can your description of what is going on gets closer and closer to what is really going on right. and again uh, this goes back to people saying well why can't you just say for sure and it's like yeah. because it's like part of the who, whole entire point that we would be able to who knew backtrack that, who the, knew that newton's laws of motion were incorrect mm-hmm. like in the in the six in the 1700s if you're a 1700s 1800s 1900s scientist and you're looking at newton's laws of motion and you realize they calculate everything that you seem to observe. Probably like his her roommate or something. Yeah, He's like, Psh, yeah, no, bullshit. This guy's an asshole. They're, uh, <laughs> they're wrong. But you look and at the, <laughs> you look at those things. Go, who knew that they would? Who knew that when things are the size of stars or the size of electrons, those laws don't suddenly don't apply. Yeah, yeah. like who who would know that suddenly when things are moving close to the speed of light, those laws are wildly that. Yeah. Those equations are wildly off because and now that we have like the standard model and it's way more accurate than we even want it to be yeah. because it's boringly accurate. And you don't need it for <laughs> ni- nearly all science that is done. Like you, you, you didn't need any of Einstein's equations or any quantum equations to put humans on the moon. Like you didn't need that because within a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a millimeter, they are accurate. Mm-hmm. You just need Russia to pressure you into it. Right. That's all you need. It's emotion, pressure, you know? And then everybody's like, oh, man, let's give them money. We can't let these fucking Russians beat us. Yeah. And now we got money and a dude on the moon, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, but all the facts and science ain't going to do it. <laughs> uh, I like, you're still with a bro character, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, think I think you are going to be the guy. I yeah, think see, you're gonna be the Kevin, you got to tell me, since I'm not the scientist, so you tell me what other facts you got and uh, then let me translate it to the public yeah. okay. as a aggressive bro. You know, I'll be like the Farrakhan of science. <laughs> <laughs> like the, um, Keenan Peel have the Obama translator. Yes, yes, yeah. I'll be the scientist, uh, forceful scientist translator. Yeah. Uh, here's another thing that happened in the news. Um, it's kind of related to emotion. SpaceX's rocket blew up carrying Facebook's. I saw that. Yeah. And, uh, it blew up on, during a static test fire, not even a launch. Um, but two things were very surprising about one this hasn't happened since the 50s that a rocket's blown up like that during a um on the launch pad for a static test fire and the other thing that's controversial is normally you don't have the satellite in the rocket so you normally do the static test fire first then you take it back in yeah that's what that's the one thing that puzzles me about it and i'm sure they had their reasons but why why was everything when i first heard of the story why yeah to save cost so this is where the trick comes in because there's a debate where people are saying, oh, SpaceX is so much better than NASA is working on SLS, which is the Space Lodge system, a, mm-hmm. like a major competitor to SpaceX's Falcon Heavy. 
And, uh, but so people are saying, oh, but yours is so expensive. But what, what I, what always bothers me about that is like SLS is expensive because it's a very well vetted cost. It uses all these, uh, estimates from the space shuttle program. It's like a lot of recycled parts from that system. And so they know it's expensive. Whereas I feel like Elon is just sort of, he's over promising, which is what you do when you run a, a business, you know, mm-hmm. just uh-huh. like. Just like we we're supposed to have twenty thousand dollars, and they're overshooting. But in the process, because of that, the, he is—they are driving the technology probably much faster than NASA ever could have done. Right. right. Uh, you know the the fact that they've already successfully relanded both on land and sea, new yeah, multiple times now is is remarkable. It's but cool, that does but carry is a risk. Is it's cool, but it's like it's also NASA like specifically got rid of reusability, so it's like a weird. It's like a cool thing that looks good. It has great optics to see it, but and it's a nice achievement. But NASA had been able to do something very similar to that. They specifically chose not to. And so it's a little, you know... Why did they choose not to? Well, the reusability of the shuttle ended up being one of its most expensive features. Mm. Because there really is... With a rocket, there really is no such thing as truly reusable. I mean, when you burn... When you have a million horsepower coming out of a piece of metal and you travel built like a million miles with it it doesn't last very long and it's also not very expensive compared to the fuel and work that has to go into setting up mm. a rocket and testing it so uh you know nasa just decided to take the rocket engine that was on the shuttle and make a mass production line and they can make these things like really fast they have this like just like cars are made in a production line they make these engines and on the space shuttle they didn't even even though the space shuttle was reusable they had changed the engine out anyway so even though you brought it back down to Earth, you really, uh, you know, a third of the time you're bringing back just a piece of garbage that needed to be set in a museum or something somewhere. You weren't actually really reusing it. And I don't know to what degree that SpaceX has that same issue. They may, uh, I don't know how, because they haven't launched a new, uh, one of these landing rockets yet. So, uh, so we'll I'm just, just have Elon Musk on the next episode and we'll find out. Well, I keep saying that. I like talk shit about SpaceX, just hoping that somebody from the show will come talk about it. It's, it's mm-hmm. like... It's all strategy. <laughs> to get Elon on the show. That's the yeah. ultimate goal. And then when he gets on, we're done. Like, that's it. That's the end. We're going to talk <laughs> shit to him in person. No, I want Buzz on the show, too. So, oh, yeah. Buzz. Yeah, we got to get Buzz. Buzz. Is cool. Yeah, I met him once. Oh, yeah? Because uh, I'd be super cool in here. Well, he, he <laughs> was kind of. He's a, so I, I did the Nerdist TV show when that was still a thing. And I was doing a guest comedy set, and he was the main guest. So I met him backstage. And I just went, hey, uh, I'm Matt, I'm the comedian on the show. I'm pleasure to meet you. And he just went, you're the comedian? So he kind of burnt me there. And then he said something. <laughs> and, and then he said something about, like, I, I had a friend with me who was there just hanging out for the taping. And he sort of managed to insult her. Well, sort of half insult. But half, he, uh, he said, I can't remember that he said, how or why did you do that with your hair? <laughs> and it was like a sort of bit in a tone that was like... <laughs> But you're like, I'll take it. You touched the moon, man. Like you touched, yeah, yeah. You've been on the moon. When you touch the moon, you don't need a punchline. You just need the setup. And yeah, you're just like, I'll, I'll, I'll take that from him. Have you heard his thing about how he gets mad when people call him the second man on the moon? I didn't know oh, that. Yeah, that's he such goes, a dick move. No, yeah, he why, goes, why would people say that's that? such a he, dick move. Because he goes, we landed at the same time. We were both the first man on the moon. Because <laughs> he was the f- second one to walk on the moon. Second, <laughs> so he doesn't like... First people, man to pee, though. That's first the most man important to pee, yes. part. In Wikipedia, it says that. Who's, uh, whose seat cushion was higher? Like, who got closest to the moon first? Uh, oh. I think Armstrong got closer. Because he went all the way down the ladder first. Yeah. So. Um... And then, and then Michael Collins is just 
I've, I'm the same number of degrees of separation from the moon as Michael Collins. <laughs> That's awesome. I've touched I've touched Buzz who's touched the moon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's touched Buzz who's touched the moon. You've really got the raw deal there. Like what do you like is that just previously decided like okay, he, you got to sit in the car. Yeah, well here's also the thing he outranked Buzz. Oh wow. Like in terms of rankings it was it was Armstrong was was like the captain of the mission and then like Michael Collins was like the second Second in command. Buzz yeah. is the junior person, but the second in command is a more important role. It's more important to to be in the return. To be, yeah, yeah, to get oh, them back. Oh, because they had to both be in command of their respective, you know, yeah. capsule thing. So yeah. and yeah, Buzz was a junior guy, and it was going to be. I can't remember who it was going to be. It was going to be one of the other Apollo uh, people first, and he got swapped out for some reason. But when they came back, couldn't he just kind of took like, come on, man, like let me just take one step, like no, but they were all that s- shit. Yeah, but there are a lot of people who wanted to go also, so they, they had to send 12 But he people. was there. Like, the dude, like, it's like he drove to Disneyland. He was like, you guys go out, have fun, but I'm just going to sit in the car. It's still pretty cool to fly around the moon. Yeah, I would take yeah. that. I would take it. Lost would... a lot of sponsorship money, I tell you that. <laughs> I'm not actually touching the moon. Uh, also, when we had an episode with uh, Emily Lockwell, we, uh, we did a little quiz where, because they were talking about doing the same thing. Planetary Society wants to do the same thing with Mars. And that's my attitude is like, but you're going to be there and you can't land. That's going to drive people crazy. So my demonstration was like, just went around the table and we said, so who was the guy who was in that capsule? You, re- you remembered his name as Michael Collins, but like Owen couldn't remember and Griff doesn't know what a uh, capsule is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't Jim, Jim Lovell went to the moon twice and never landed on it. Wow. Because oh, he, because uh, <sighs> so he was Apollo thirteen, and he was on another mission before that. That's like, dude, that's, that's like going right. to a chick's house twice, and she's like, "Hey, come over here. We'll hook up." And you get there, and you're like, "No, just times a million. Well, I wouldn't call her after <laughs> the first time. You know what I mean? But that's it's it's like I feel the same way. It's like a weird sadness for people you shouldn't feel sad for because they're still extremely accomplished it's like you feel sad for Carl Malone because he went to the the NBA finals multiple times but he never won a championship I like how you yeah. broed that yeah, yeah, yeah perfect yeah. you just did it right <laughs> there okay. I did the moon and you're still like, yeah, let me yeah. translate yeah, yeah. you're still like you've achieved so much more in sports than 99.999% of the population yeah, he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and he's like ah, no like I still feel bad it's better to get 8th place than 2nd place oh yeah I, yeah I agree with that yeah you absolutely know? you always see that's it that's what you're getting at you just look at the expression of bronze and gold and those match and then silver's just like the one who, who mm-hmm. hates themselves yeah the bronze guy's happy because he yeah. meddled because he's not supposed he's to sometimes a, yeah. he's like, uh-huh. yeah. oh, I I like oh shit I meddled I I'm just happy to be here guys and the silver <laughs> guy he, he's a loser like he feels like a he's loser he's the biggest loser you're first the, loser. As they, yeah. the first loser, as I say, you're the first loser. <laughs> yep. It's uh... yeah, and again, so much more advanced in your field than nearly everyone has ever uh-huh. got. Oh, yeah. you're just the second fastest on the entire planet. But that sucks, though. But that's that's the emotional guy. Like you feel for that guy. Maybe he, sh- Michael Collins, should be the one that's really out there talking. He's like, you know what happened to me, man? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> fucking moon. He's probably okay? quite happy with his lot. <laughs> yeah, he probably is. He's like, yeah. I was on the moon. I didn't get on. And you telling me you don't want to get a vaccine? <laughs> Fuck you, okay? <laughs> that should be a speech. <laughs> I think you should be the head spokesperson for all science fields. Yes, yes. I should write speeches from. So see, I got I pres- to meet Neil Armstrong. And I can tell you one of the things that made Buzz why, why he's 
uh, um, this is before he passed away. But one of the reasons Buzz is so like well known is not just because he was the second man on the moon, but Neil Armstrong really doesn't didn't like public exposure at all. Like he would, yeah, I heard he, he was like quite a parade. modest and yeah. chill guy. Yeah, right? he I, I saw him at a very unusual event where he almost never did this kind of thing where he met people. What was the yeah. event? Uh, it was like a benefit for one of the guys uh, in Star Trek. The guy who played Scotty in the original Star Trek series. It was like they're raising money for... Uh, for his of- acting career? No. <laughs> no, for an illness, you oh, monster. In I fact, he's not I, listening. Uh, you know Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura in the original one? Yeah. I like literally pushed her out of the way to shake hands with uh, Armstrong. Oh, was, she was there, too. I was more... He just got mobbed after the event because it was like, okay, he gave a speech that everyone was like, Okay, things over, and just everyone, including like there were there were people from science, you know, actors that were just mobbing him. Yeah, and... I was more starstruck by him than anyone I've met before. Like I was, you know, in this business, every so often you meet people who are varying levels of famous in like in the movie or music or TV mm-hmm. world. Yeah, and this just, is like, like two thousand year famous. This is, a, you yeah, know, yeah. like there's people who are like, man, you're so you're trending right now. You know, yeah, bad, yeah, like yeah. that's you were great cool in that at show, the time. But... Oh, you were so great on the moon. It's just a little <laughs> bit more credibility. Yeah, you've done something that right. only a handful of people have ever done, and you were the first one to do it. Right. And by the way, his signature is sitting on the moon. Like that was one of the things they left behind. Is the there's a little plaque with the three of their signatures on it. And yeah. it's like, going to be there for a really long time. Yeah. So even if we just fuck this all up, that's the, it's like, still going to be there. It's like, look, I have a plaque on a little gold thing in the back of a seat at a local Italian restaurant. <laughs> cool, I have a plaque on the moon, so <laughs> you're done. Yeah. All right. I, I got to go to lunch with my dad. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> yeah, okay. That was fun. Thank I you for was also going to go to lunch with Jimmy's dad. Yeah. So. <laughs> This is going to be awkward. Oh, jeez. Uh, you got to share him. This is yeah. Richard. You got to share Richard. Got to call my dad about this. Uh, so, Matt, what are you going to do in the next couple of weeks? What do you want? Uh, is this promote it, a show? Or? Um, well, let's think. Uh, I'm going to be in Fort Collins, uh, Colorado. Ooh, we got listeners there. This coming Saturday. I don't know the name of the venue. But if you go- I can't imagine there's many comedy shows in Fort Collins. So if you just Google that, uh, come along to that. And then I, I most- imagine they're all weed related. Though. And, I'm, and I'm mostly gigging around uh, L.A. for the moment. And then I've got some other gigs coming up around the country. You got a website, Twitter? And, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm Matt Kirshen on everything. There's, there aren't many people with that name. So I've managed to swoop in and nab most of the social media things with that. That's um, awesome. And then... Uh, and then probably science is the podcast that Def- I co-host. Yeah, definitely check it out. I love that podcast. Well, thank you. Um, and I'm sure we'll get a lot of uh, listeners. I reckon we have some crossover audience. <laughs> yeah, I think we do. I nice. will for sure. Um, I'm doing. I'm going to plug my show because I'm excited about. It. I'm doing my birthday show at the comedy store. I still don't know who's on the lineup, but it's going to be awesome. It always has been. Uh, it's. I'm going to be there with Brian Monarch, who nice. did the show with Jimmy last night. What's the night. date? On uh, show? September 10th at 7 p.m. at the Hollywood Comedy Store. Um, just uh, get a code from me. Uh, use the code KPH to get discount uh, tickets half off. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you can find me uh, at Funny Asian Dude on Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> or go on my website celebdicksize.com. You see all my dates coming up. I think I only have Sacramento coming up. Uh, September 22nd and 24th. So, yeah, go on Celeb Dick Size or uh, JimmyComedy.com. Do you want to shout out the movie you're filming now or do you want to wait on that? Oh, yeah, I'm going to Atlanta for like five weeks total uh, to do this Melissa McCarthy movie. 
Should be nice. really fun. Yeah. Awesome. Are called... you going to have time to drop into some of the clubs, some of the gigs down there? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I never checked out. There's like a good funny bone and like a punchline there yeah, or something well, like there's, that. Well, the Laughing Skull as well, which is a great okay. room. Yeah, cool. Owen even asked if you, you thought that's where you're going. Was yeah, the yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'll be at the Sacramento punchline for sure, 22nd and 24th. The movie's not going to come out this this Melissa McCarthy, I think it's in May of 2018. So that's going to be a but, while. But your other movie's coming up. Yeah, summer. Patriots Day. Right. No, coming out with, uh, Christmas? December 21st. Check that out. Sweet. Yeah. Nice. Christmas that's time. going to be nice. Mm. Yeah. How about you, Griff? Uh, let's see. Uh, Monday, I believe, at 9.30 at uh, Mickey's uh, Bar here in West Hollywood also. That's a really it, fun show. Yeah, if you're here Wednesday, September 7th at 8 p.m. the Hollywood Improv, come check me out on a show called Joke Out. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We uh, reenact comedian sets, so uh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> All right, this so. has been surely you're joking. <laughs>